0: This is CliffCentral.com.
1: Welcome to The Leadership Platform, multiplying authentic, seamless leaders and moving the self, others, and society in the process. That's what we're all about. All about leadership, it's The Leadership Platform. I'm Adrian Grunewald, and with me, the old man, Louis Grunewald. Welcome, Louis.
2: Good to be uh, with you
1: and with our special guest. Yeah, it's great to have a weekly Leadership Masterclass. Go to leadershipplatform.com for all things leadership. One word, two Ps in the middle. Our Leadership Masterclass today is with Dr. Andrew Johnson, the CLO at ESCOM, Chief Learning Officer at ESCOM, and it's a big job. Uh, we're at the campus uh, where, um, where a lot of this action takes place, sort of mid-rand area, and it's huge, man. It, I feel like I'm at UJ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's sort of the, the, the style as well, you know, of the building and, and everything else. Andrew, it's good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us on the Leadership Platform.
0: Thanks very much, Adrian, for the opportunity, and good morning to Louis also.
1: This is, this is a leadership platform. We've had all kinds of leaders on it in various forms. We thought it would be really exciting to talk to you about leadership. You've, you're an expert on various fronts. You've done your PhD. That's an interesting theme. But there's a couple of things, themes that I think you could take us through, and we could have a nice discussion here for our masterclass. But just the job alone within the environment of ESCOM, we can learn from you there. I mean, sure. it hasn't been easy. It, it's not going to be easy from year on forward. Although, like South Africa, there's a lot of hope, yep. I think, in ESCOM. And there's a lot of hope in South Africa with everything happening as well. Sure. But let's just start from the beginning. I, I mean, um, Chief Learning Officer at ESCOM. That's a, just give us an overview of what that what that means, and then we'll look at your background a little bit. And, sure. and then we'll start looking at your feeling, feelings regarding the future of leadership.
0: Thanks, Adrian. Um, The Chief Learning Officer for ESCOM uh, is responsible for all the learning and development in this environment. Uh, That includes all the technical training, that is your engineering and artisan training, the functional training which has to do with all our business skills training like safety or customer service or HR, finance, security, IT and so forth. And then the third component to it is leadership development, which includes all your supervisory and management development. The actual institution, while this is the main campus, uh, finds itself in 28 sites around the country because ESCOM is a national organization. And we obviously have to deliver the training where we find our customers. And uh, so uh, we would find that in all of the provinces of South Africa. So we are responsible for the whole spectrum of... uh, Learning delivery to to ASCOM across those uh, three uh, main mm. components, which I just shared with you,
1: Andrew. That's huge. Yeah, I mean, j- just expect. doing the, the the one third of that. Let's say the leadership tra- all the leadership. That's big. Yeah. Then you go to functional, which is all the business skills stuff, yeah. the MBAs, the right. management skills, and then the technical, which obviously is p- possibly the biggest portion of it because and our core business. It's your yeah. core business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just we're not talking a couple of million rand. The business this is a big organization that it you that big, you lead. Yeah. You've been doing it for a little while.
0: I've been in the job now. I was appointed in twenty um, uh, where twenty fifteen, uh, sorry twenty sixteen. So I've, it's just over a year that I've been in the role now. Uh, in the past, the academy used to run separately, just with that functional and technical. And the leadership used to be a separate entity, as uh, what was called then uh, the Leadership uh, Institute uh, oh. of ESCOM. So it was a separate entity. And then when we amalgamated both things, uh, I was then appointed to take over the role. You're an industrial
1: psychologist by trade, yes? That's correct, yeah. Where did you do that?
0: I did, uh, obviously, I did undergraduate studies in South Africa in psychology um, up to honors level. And then I got a break to do my Master of Science in Occupational Psychology, as it's called, in England. Uh, and um, managed to go to Nottingham University to do my Occupational Psychology. I had a particular problem because my undergraduate studies and up to honours level was leaning towards clinical psychology. Mm. And when I did want to make the switch in South Africa, you couldn't really do it because you had to do undergraduate industrial psychology to go into that okay. space. Whereas in England, up to honours level, you could do a kind of a general psychology degree and you only specialise for your master's afterwards. That's why I managed to get into the programme. And uh, it was just one of uh, those amazing breaks in my life because I got selected. I, I had not even the faintest faintest hope that I would ever be Mm. able to get in the program. And then I got selected for a class of 16 from around the world. That's exciting. It's a good experience, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. The
1: context, then you're back here.
0: And then I came back to South Africa. I did my internship in South Africa in industrial psychology, qualified as an industrial psychologist, and then pursued my doctorate uh, with the University of, of Johannesburg. Your doctorate theme? I'm always interested in that. It's about the role of mental models in enhancing effective uh, leadership behavior. So that's, uh, it was around leadership. I had a very particular keen interest in that particular field.
1: Okay, we, we, we can break it down a little later on in our master class. But the, what's the essence there? Mental models, uh, example?
0: The mental models is a concept that comes from <clears throat> uh, Peter Senge. If you read his book, actually, The Fifth Discipline, The fifth discipline is about mental models. And basically it is, if one could describe it in very simplistic terms, a mental model is a particular way of belief that you have that determines how you would behave towards something. Now, the idea behind mental models in effective or ineffective leadership behavior is to say if you hold a particular belief of how the thing should happen, that's going to determine how you're going to act it out, mm. and it will have certain consequences. Now, uh, so I was very interested in this, but the key person actually that Sangi himself also learned from is Chris Argeras. He just died about two or three years ago now, uh, who is kind of considered to be the father of organizational learning. And he speaks of it not so much as mental models, he called it our governing values. What governs how do we behave Mm. and then create consequences in terms of our behavior. And we'll explore that a little bit more. But it's basically a set of beliefs that you have in your head which often operates at the tacit or an unconscious level that you um, act out in terms of your particular behavior and often leading to consequences that we didn 't intend in the first instance, because the the mental model operates at the tacit level it 's not in your conscious uh, kind of attention, which means it drives your behavior, but in a way that you need to get to understand what is this mental model about. But I'll ex- a, a, explicate a okay. little bit more I mean, I mean
1: it at the forefront of our mind today, you know, this is the day where we all wake up to the fact that our president resigned, sure. Jacob Zuma. We have a new acting president who will probably be the president. And let's not discuss it now, but I'll tell you in my mind, I think, what kind of mental models exist for someone to never take blame? You know, to actually even in your resignation conversation, you, you still uh, you have that final word that says, you know, what is this for? What have I done wrong? So, so that's a whole new conversation. Sure, but that's sure. typically what I think of in the reality of today. W- what drives, what beliefs drive that sort of behavior all the time? But leadership is a fascinating concept. Uh, before we go into, let's say, the future of leadership, because I think that was in part your contribution to this leadership bible That people can buy. I forget what it was called now.
0: Leadership Perspectives from the Frontline. That's that's right. Which I co-edited with uh, uh, Professor Theo Theo
1: Felsman. Leadership Perspectives from the Frontline. And I had some contribution there. It's a magnificent thick book. It's like a Bible, isn't it, Uh, for for leadership. Uh, And it's future of leadership. But just tell us where you come from. I mean, your background. I I was with a colleague the other day who's the HR exec of, of SPA. And I didn't even know after knowing her for a year... And, and spending a lot of hours with her, that, that she has a PhD. And and when she told her story, I'm going to put on the show, it's just yeah. fascinating where she comes from. Right. Uh, b- yeah. uh, but just where, where do you come from? We yeah. know where you are today.
0: <laughs> it's quite an amazing thing because I think I'm one of those uh, products uh, that come out of that very... Uh, you know, an uh, uh, interesting place in South Africa called the Karoo, which uh, we often like so much. I grew up in the Karoo in a very small town uh, called Kradok. Uh I was born there in the 60s. I went to school there, both primary and high school. The high school was in particularly a very interesting uh, experience for me because that was run by Roman Catholic Dominican sisters, uh, the high school was called Tawli Rosary. Okay. And I think, uh, if I think back in terms of that particular school, it's probably the school that gave so many young people like myself an opportunity in life because these were German nuns. Now, if you have ever been taught by or worked with Germans, <laughs> it's very regimented.
1: German nun, I can
0: imagine. <laughs> Incredibly regimented. But they also, and I think partly because they came from Europe, obviously, they brought a mindset of education that was very different to what we would have experienced, say, in a state school. Uh, so it's an openness about education, but also exploring things that they would have obviously uh, had exposure to as students themselves and bringing this into the environment for us. Now, it's a very impoverished community that you're talking about, and yet they, the excellence with which they kind of approach that learning Uh, really just gave us a push start in life that was incredible and uh, uh, in that small community gave a lot of uh, young people and kids Mm. an opportunity to explore further in life and just to see that there was a world bigger than Craddock, you know. I mean, um, Mm. I must tell you just uh, very briefly that when I went to England, it was my first time to step out of South Africa and it was also at the time when I left the old South Africa because this was in 93, and I came back in 94, which was the new South Africa. So Mm -hmm. I was in that transition phase, actually, in England, you know, which is a fascinating experience. But uh, what I wanted to say about it in relation to where I grew up was it was almost the first time that I looked back at our country from outside of it, you know, and just to experience it in a very different light to what uh, unfortunately because there was so much emphasis at that time by news uh, agencies on South Africa because of the elections and the transition to a democratic government we had lots of news I mean we were just yes. overwhelmed with news mm. in England so I didn't have and, and quite interestingly the day after the election the news died down mm. <laughs> So, but leading up to it was just an incredible experience but so Cradock was a very small mm. community. I mean, the biggest city that I knew at the time was probably between, say, Port Elizabeth and East London, you know. And the first time when I came to Joburg, I just felt like, sure. I mean, I've never known that the mm. world could be that big.
1: <laughs> what did you come to the city for? What did you want to become initially? And then we can move on.
0: Uh, initially, I actually trained as a Catholic priest. Uh, uh, I was <laughs> a Dominican monk uh, in or friar, as it's called, uh, at one point in my life. So uh, I spent quite a bit of my life in that environment. I can see you as that. Say again?
1: I can see you as that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can. Yeah. (laughs) All right. They, they, They attracted me very much because of also their social justice involvement in South Africa. But also, if you think back to the Dominicans in the Middle Ages, was very much the intelligentsia of the Catholic Church. They were the ones infamously known to have conducted the, you know, all the Inquisition uh, inquiries in the Middle Ages and, uh, you know, uh, condemning people as witches and all sort of things. But they were considered to be kind of Mm. the people running universities in the Catholic Church at that time, yeah. So I spent quite a bit of time with them and, um, yeah, their exposure with them. But I also studied at the university at the same time. So I did kind of theological, philosophical studies with them, but also um, studied, uh, you know, its uh, uh, UNISA at the time doing some undergraduate studies. Okay. Here.
1: Well, from Credoc, and everything outside of Credoc is bigger than Cradock. Oh,
0: absolutely.
1: <laughs> uh, to mm. To the big cities and, and and a very big job, but also big opinions and <coughs> views on leadership. i'm it's one of those nice stories, eh, Louis?
2: I just like to mention from a leadership point of view, Andrew. You can see how your your profile has formed because of certain mindsets you had. Yeah. I mean, uh, many people will blame the 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 uh, rigid control. By, this, by the Catholic sisters as a big factor. You recognize that with a smile, but what you do emphasize is this discipline of excellence yes. which they brought to you. It's amazing how people react differently. Uh, instead of complaining and blaming, yeah. you know, became building blocks in your life, and that's formed your whole your, your character. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe to, just to touch on that point, I think If
0: you look at how they structured and regimented they were about it, they actually did it out of love because you had a sense they have an interest to develop you to a higher level that maybe you have to learn this discipline in yourself that discover that you have great gifts in yourself and... uh, Help develop it uh, throughout your life. So but might, to be no. disciplined about it because you can't just sit around and wait by chance for things to happen.
2: You see, out in from leadership development, as we know, uh, the basic, yes, the, the, the confidence you have in the potential of people, and this is what you're saying, they had it. Absolutely. And they felt by this so-called discipline. You can reach that potential. Without it, you can't. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Dr. Andrew Johnson, the future of leadership. I think we're all interested in that. If you're interested in leadership, you must be interested in the future of leadership. Uh, We're certainly interested in the future of leadership in our country, but globally. So let's just have an overall conversation around that. What was your contribution to uh, the the, the leadership Bible as well? Sure. And and maybe expand a few minutes around that theme.
0: As you know, the book itself is quite a thick book, some thousand pages, if I uh, count correctly. And we ask experts, obviously, from various angles to comment on leadership, whether that is from a neuroleadership perspective or a psychodynamic perspective, and also speaking about leadership uh, applications in different contexts, whether it's schools or women leadership, what kind of attributes do you need for that? Government. or Or government and so forth. I think in the end, when Theo and I looked at it, who was the co-editor for me, and we look at all of these contributions, invariably each one of those experts had particular competencies that they said were necessary for a leader to operate in this VUCA world, as it is commonly known. and Volatile, uh, uncertain. Complex. Complex. Amb- amb- ambiguous, ambiguous yeah. that's right. So... This world that we operate in, they all had a comment to make. So if you want to be an excellent leader to deal with diversity, you need these competencies. If you want to play in the school environment, you need these competencies. I can tell you, if you look at that list, it is incredibly long, which is also an intent to respond to the incredibly long list of challenges emerging out of all of these contexts. And, And clearly, if you look at it, you almost are saying... Well, this leader has to deal with so many challenges, and he needs so many competencies. Is that even possible? You
1: mm-hmm. know? I mean, Good question. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is it even possible that a leader could have this whole long list of competencies and play effectively? It clearly is not
1: possible. Uh, I just want to quickly say, yeah. I've, I've often had conversations with a bunch of senior leaders in the room and say, on this flip chart page, let's put down the competencies of a great leader. And when that, all those list um, competencies are there, you look at them and you say, that looks like perfection. Yes. Can anyone ever do that? I yeah. mean, it's not possible because we're human. It's but clearly not. Continue.
0: And, and so we, we, had to, we looked at that and we say, well, a leader then have to play. Uh, one of the things that we did, by the way, as we started off with the book, was to put leadership in some kind of framework to say a leader needs to develop, in, in, even in relation to these various contexts that we were talking about, a leader needs to develop competencies that uh, help him to manage himself. So it's about yourself. It's then secondly about the others around you, the teams that you play with, or uh, uh, whether that be your own natural team or project teams that you find yourself in. Then a leader has to lead within his organization, kind of the third layer. And the fourth layer to be how do you lead in this broader world that your organization finds yourself in. Mm-hmm. And you can just imagine... What we were trying to do then is to say there are competencies associated, given the context that leaders find themselves in this VUCA world. uh, Given that context, the leader needs certain competencies in each one of those four layers to Mm. be able to play effectively in that world. And as I've just indicated and you confirmed, when a leader look at that and he says, no, it's not possible, I can't develop all of these competencies clearly from practical point of view you can't and so it led us to the idea to say well you know there is this whole long list of competencies maybe we can begin to uh, refine it to kind of competency themes about it is about authentic leadership it is about leadership that uh, shows servant leadership towards others and what are the implications of it and so forth. And so we came up with five themes, but we even felt in those five themes, you have to break it down further and you'll probably come up, say, with another. So we had five themes, but in the five themes, you would break it down into five competencies. Mm. 25 competencies? Nah, maybe not, you know, it's... Uh, Still a lot, but let's keep some it led us to the idea that Maybe this new leadership style is requiring the leader to have a deep contextual appreciation of what he's dealing with. And that could almost be moment to moment, and uh, that's a very different skill. You see, this is a mental model. Mm. If a leader believes that we find ourselves maybe described with this VUCA uh, concept, If a leader finds himself that the world we operate in just because of this exponential change we're dealing with, he finds himself in a context of chaos, then he has to shift how he thinks about it. Let me just tell you why Mm. that could be the mental model uh, that uh, could help a leader to think differently. A leader could also say, uh, and this is invariably what leaders do say, is, I find it incredibly difficult to manage my work, my family life, my social life, my academic life if you want to pursue further education, all at the same time. And uh, therefore, I'm not going to do training right now because I have to focus on my work. Mm. So a leader would say, often we hear leaders saying, I can't come to the training now to do this leadership Mm. development because I've got too much on my plate. Now, what is the mental model that drives that leader? The mental model is that somewhere in the future, a time will arrive where all of these things will balance out. But we know that that is a lie. Mm. It's not going to happen.
1: No, it's not. it's
0: not. It's not possible. In fact, that world is just moving faster and faster to create even more chaos around us. Now, If you were helping this leader to switch the mental model to say, maybe I'm only dealing with chaos to a bigger or lesser extent, it says I must deal with the chaos and not wait for a time in the future because that's a different mental model. I must step up to this thing now to deal with this situation. I don't know how to do it, but I must look for the skills to do so. That is contextual appreciation because you're dealing with what is served you in this moment. And so it led us to the idea that maybe there's a very different way that we can speak about the competencies that leaders need to develop and maybe we just put this out as a kind of a teaser for people to think about is maybe the only skill a leader actually needs is skillful improvisation because skillful improvisation is asking you to step up to the situation as you find it right now and try and respond in the best possible way to that situation. Mm. Now, Skillful? Skillful improvisation. improvisation. I mean, uh,
1: just to bring the reality, not to throw you off balance, but uh, I was sitting with an executive this week, and the first thing, how are you doing? What space are you in? Just crazy. Honestly, I cannot spend quality time on any area of my life and as we explored a little bit further, it came down to, but maybe uh, if this acquisition that we're involved with comes to an end and it's all settled down, maybe then it'll, it'll So I said, you're assuming that there won't be another acquisition exactly. or that there'll be something else that takes its space. Yeah. So I said, what would it mean for you if if exactly. that assumption was wrong? You know. Yeah. So we had that conversation. It, it is real what you're saying. Yeah. We know it. The leaders listening right now know that they feel that way. You're just touching the surface of everything and you feel mm-hmm. like you can't go in-depth into into any area of your life.
0: Yes, yes. Um, and maybe that is all that we are facing right now and maybe it's going to get worse until we find better ways to say that is the chaos that you're dealing with. So how do you step up to that? Not... This wishful thinking that at some point in the future,
1: it will settle
0: itself, you know. But that also forces a kind of paralysis in people because you don't have to do anything now then because that thing will sort itself out Mm. one way or another. A skillful improvisation has got many implications Mm. because it's saying also the way that we train leaders has to shift. And maybe in that regard, which is one of the points that we make in the book, is we have to go and learn about how that development happens, not from our traditional business schools, but maybe we should go and ask the artists, because artists are brilliant at improvisation. And one particular form of art that has fascinated me a lot is jazz, in fact. And I just want to share the, the idea that I had around this as we were talking about it, in terms of improvisation. And I was making the point then to say, jazz artists actually understand best what improvisation is. Here's a scenario they, s- they prepare for a gig that they're going to play on Saturday and they practice a lot and they go through all the motions of, you know, setting themselves up to, to play a big piece on Saturday. But invariably, if you know, if you ever spoke to jazz artists, there's always a mistake that is made. And, in fact, in all art forms you have to make uh, mistakes are made. So they play the piece now this evening uh, for the audience, and somebody makes a mistake. Just by the way, Mm. the audience never knows that the jazz artists have made Mm. a mistake, and the reason for that is the following they make somebody makes a mistake on playing the wrong note maybe okay, in yeah. the and they say the jazz band leader says there's no mistake on the band stand the only mistake is there is the inability of the other person to respond to the mistake that was made in the first instance <laughs> so what happens is that when a mistake is made the other players around you tune into the mistake to just take it on as if it is part of the piece of music that you're sure. playing. And that's why you will never hear that there's a mistake in jazz because they, they flow with what is there. It's a bit like what Donald Churn, who was a great uh, collaborator of Chris Argyris, uh, the two of them jointly being considered as the fathers of organizational learning. Donald Shurn says it's developing the skill to deal with the backtalk of the situation. And by that he means, so you've prepared yourself well to do a particular thing, but you can never control what happens in your environment. And so something happens that kind of throws you a little bit off course. Mm. The, The situation talks back to you in a way that you haven't prepared for it, like this mistake that is made on the bandstand but you tune into the mistake rather than to have a persistence to deal with how you have prepared to respond to the issues. So you kind of, it's almost like, I mean, in common terms we say about how do you think on your feet as you stand in that situation? And that is what skillful improvisation is about, is the situation shifts all the time. And because of the kind of world that we operate in, this VUCA world, Mm That situation is very uncertain what is going to happen next. The question then is, how comfortable are you to step back from it and say, wow, this is a big thing that is thrown to me now. How do I respond to this particular situation? What we're not proposing is to say all of those skills, the 25, for example, we spoke about earlier, are useless. We're not saying that. We say that development needs to take place for leaders to learn how do you respond to people, how do you respond to your task, and so forth. The difference is when you apply the concept of skillful improvisation, you know which skill, you make first of all the correct judgment of your situation and therefore know which of those skill sets are you going to call upon to help you resolve it. So
1: skillful improvisation, but it is preceded by good preparation. Louis? Louis? Old man, your no. comment on that, I mean that's what we're saying So yeah. Yeah. so we, there's no space for saying I don't have to prepare myself Absolutely. I, I, I'm a guy who thinks by no. the seat of my pants Indeed. I think on my feet, so I don't need any of this training No, you, and
0: that's precisely Why I say you actually Do need the correct. skills development In those other leadership competencies But they sit as a toolkit That you call upon depending on What the situation correct. demands on you
2: uh, In terms of our language This is exactly the spirit of the Of the inner me model make no mistake. Andrew um, what you're saying rings very, very uh, deep-rooted bells. I appreciate it so much because by nature I'm a creative writer, right. and I believe uh, just one idea can make a bit diff- difference. The point, yeah, you're mentioning the only lasting skill. That you really can own and rely on is what you call this term, which is so, so beautiful. Uh, what's the term you skillful use? Skillful,
0: skillful improvisation. improvisation Yeah,
2: because that becomes a possession in you, in a sense. Yeah. All the other things are important. In fact, it also requires, make no mistake, a great deal of, of emotional and even spiritual maturity Absolutely. to do that, because your ego must just be pushed to the side, you know? This is beautiful. And, yeah. and
0: by the way, some of those skills might go. They, they may not be... Because the situation changed, there's new skills required. So, for example, we talk uh, a lot nowadays about digital learning. Yes. Digital learning is requiring skills that we didn't have before. So you have to build that into your toolkit now. But it might change later on depending on what kind of challenges... Or and
2: you may then draw upon some of these later exactly. on when the crisis situation exactly. But some
1: it? personality types are more inclined and can more easily... I would think, adapt to that skill right. of um, improvisation, skillful improvisation. There's no doubt that if you look at the Enneagram or, or any of those, then they would, it would say to you, this personality type wants certainty. Sure. So therefore, it's going to be more difficult for this individual to acquire that skill. This individual can get the other 25 competencies under sure. the knee and train hard and do the MBA and do leadership programs and read and go crazy. But when it comes to that improvisation, then he or she might have to work a little bit harder at it than another individual who's maybe more inclined to it.
0: it it's also about building that flexibility, and Louis maybe can attest to it. It's that flexibility that we see in artists, yeah. because artists think in a space of fluidity and not rigid regimented stuff you know they they are able to shift with the situation as is demand of them uh, whereas I think a lot of our learning that happens in our traditional institutions like for example business schools and even universities often creates some regimentation rather than and openness. I, I think our education system, unfortunately, mm. as I commented even at my son's school the other day, the education system, even though they put now the, on their curriculum, they want to put uh, uh, a subject called critical thinking. And I said, mm-hmm. you better be very clear what you're saying, because the environment to a large extent with all of our practices enforces conformity and not, Divergent thinking, mm. so all of those systems that will work against you is not going to support what you 're trying to pursue mm.
2: and critical thinking is not necessarily creative thinking e- exactly. you know, it 's only an element exactly. of it mm. yeah.
0: so it, and it 's the same thing for leadership. Um, Maybe one of the things which you did want to talk about is how would one define effectiveness and and ineffectiveness?
1: Before we go there, Mm, so so you're saying the future of leadership then means, if we can sort of close down that conversation, although we can link back to it, uh, there will be more skillful improvisation needed in the future. Am I right when I say that? Absolutely. Is it also right to assume in this VUCA world and and the fact that. Change is picking up speed by the day. That um, it'll be exponential. Yeah. So, so I don't know. How does one then dig into the world of skillful improvisation? What does it take to be? And, and, and no doubt there'll be people who will write books about it and give you another twenty-five competencies to sure. to break down what that means, because because that's
0: what we now need. That perhaps brings us to talking about the effectiveness, because one of the things that we make a very strong point about in that particular chapter is to say skillful improvisation is going to require digging very deep into ourselves. Yes. Partly because the environment, the environment outside is already taking so much away from us Mm. that to go and try and look for support outside there is not going to help us. In fact, that environment is draining us rather than giving something back to us as a leader to step up. It's extracting
1: from you. It's not giving input almost. uh,
0: Yeah. So mm. it's going to have to be, uh, I believe, I mean, the model that we've been trying to pursue and what I've been a very strong proponent of is this inside-out model of leadership development. That we'll have to go and look, first of all, what Mm. is going on inside yourself. Yeah as a leader, um, to develop those personal skills that are required. But maybe the very first thing is going to be to deal with our blindness because the beliefs and the mental models blinds us to reality. It blinds you to see only one component of reality and not the whole. Therefore, leaders find it so difficult to say to anybody in the workplace, sometimes they don't know. And it's true that they don't know, but they can't say that because don't know implies that I'm incompetent in my role. that And I must put up even an appearance of competence and in that regard. Wrong. That, that, and that's That increases but, stress. But that is precisely what is yeah. happening, mm. that uh, you people must put up this very strong facade of competence. But sometimes it's okay to say you don't know because as one leadership commentator said to me, which makes a lot of sense to me, When a leader says, I don't know, he or she invites others in. And what he means by that is to say, when I say, I don't know exactly what is the answer to the challenge we're facing, I'm asking you to comment Um, on it. Maybe you've got a better idea than what I saying. In fact,
2: I'm triggering the process to get the answer. So I don't say, I don't know, and leave it there. Excellent. No, uh, It's it's
0: it's simply making the point, obviously, in a kind of metaphorical way to say, when you make that comment, you are now inviting others to make a comment also on this challenge that you're dealing you're with. You're asking a question. But if I know everything, then I don't need your help to actually expand on the problem that we're dealing with. You
1: know? mm, it's a, it is a very nice way I invite you in. You know, I, I, um, I look at leadership around, certainly in politics and maybe also in corporate, and there's definitely that attitude of I, 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 I may not look vulnerable in front of my team and say I don't know. Yeah. But your 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 leader who's absolutely sure inside, who's 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 dug deep and and, um, and has walked that road that you speak of inside out, or what did you say? Um, the it's inside, inside out, out model. leadership model. Yeah. Yep. I've gone inside yep. and I'm coming out. I think those are the leaders who are not afraid at all yep. to demonstrate vulnerability. Sure. They do it with confidence. The more sure I am inside of who I am and where I'm going and, and what matters to me, the easier it is to to improvise. Yeah. Because I know what to come back to. Yeah. If I don't know who I am and what my core is, with very deep roots yeah. these days, because the, mm. the the winds of change are blowing above the ground like crazy. The analogy of a tree. How do I come back? Y- you know. And, and you mm. see that with a lot of leaders, they think they know who they are. The winds of change blow. Things are crazy. Yeah. The organisation is going under. Um, suddenly pops up co- a corrupt idea that can sort it out, I move away, and I, I never come back mm. because I never knew who I was. Sure. I don't know if I'm making sense. I mean, that is no, so, indeed. so important.
0: In, in fact, one, uh, in order to know, you need to first of all discover what blinds you. Mm. And uh, Daniel Goldman, who is a big author, obviously, on the whole emotional intelligence, uh, comp- one of the, the first component, in fact, of... Emotional intelligence is self-management. That's what you have to do in the first Mm. instance before you can even begin to explore other things with other people. And he puts it so beautifully in uh, this—not the way that he describes it—and he says, "The range of what we think and do is limited by what we fail to notice." So effectively, he's saying we are blind because we only see part of reality and not the whole. Although. We operate as if we understand the whole, but we don't. We only know a very small component. Uh, some people would even say that that which we have gained as a reality through our senses only represent 1% mm-hmm. of reality, mm-hmm. but we act as if we know the 99. Uh, but the 99 has to be discovered. So the first thing he says is that the range of what we think and do is limited by what we fail to notice. And then he goes on to say... And because we fail to notice that we fail to notice, there's little we can do to change until we notice our failing to notice limits our thoughts. And I read cuts.
1: that quote recently. It's yeah. brilliant. You fail to Absolutely notice that you brilliant. fail to notice.
0: Because what he's saying is that not only do we have a problem about blindness of how our beliefs blinds us to reality, but secondly, we're not even aware that we are blind. So your unawareness of your blindness Is a bigger problem because if you are a bit like an alcoholic, you know, if an alcoholic says that day, I have a problem, when he speaks to the people and say, hi, my name is Andrew, I'm an alcoholic, he's saying I'm owning my problem. That's the first thing you have to do. So you have to own your blindness first to create the awareness that that is going to hold you back from how you see reality. I think if organizations and leaders within organizations were just to open their eyes and see, I can't see everything here. It's impossible. It's just a a natural impossibility because our brains fundamentally restricts us to what we can or cannot see because it selects. Mm. Uh, But a little bit, uh, Adrian, I want to challenge you also here now. Your mind is blocking out the humming of the aircon, but you are not aware of that. Mm. Your brain does that automatically because it's focusing on some things while it excludes others in order to focus and then to create a response. And it has to.
2: Pardon? As mortals, it has to. Yes. And Otherwise, we know. will not survive. That's right.
0: The system will shut down mm. if we have to try and – it's like a computer. It will be information overload. And the worst form of shutdown for human beings is obviously when you have a nervous breakdown because – there's too much information. You can't deal with it any longer. But by the way, we have breakdowns the whole day long when we shout at somebody mm. and there's too much. You can't handle this boss that, mm-hmm. you know, is so unreasonable. That's why
1: mindfulness has become so yeah, strong. Because absolutely. if you, if you really uh, go down that route among others… You can start observing others. You can start observing yourself. You can sure. start observing the interaction right here as we sit here in your, in your office. Absolutely. Uh, you know, what are all the dynamics around while observing and listening effectively? So mindfulness supposedly is, is part solution to all of that. Bring leadership ineffectiveness into this conversation.
0: So we we would say that one of the first things that Chris Argyris does is that he helps us define what would be mean by effectiveness. And he has got a very simple definition, which I really like because you can apply it in all instances. He says, effectiveness is the extent to which you achieve your intended consequences. And by that he means... We have a particular intention to achieve, let's say a leader says, I want to build a high-performing team. That's my intention. Then I take certain actions, uh, which because it's about achieving, you're taking actions now to achieve what you intended, Um, So you take certain actions. I give my people informal feedback. I don't wait until the end of the year only to give feedback. I do development. I coach on an ongoing basis. I point out where the person is on the right track as it happens, not like wait for later on. And you do all of those actions. So there's an intention. You take an action. And once you have taken the action, it leads to consequences. So the consequence could be that somebody from outside say to you, but your team plays so b- beautifully together and how they achieve what they set out to do. It means you have been able to achieve your intention. Yeah. So effectiveness is the extent to which you achieve your intended consequences. Now, that is premise on the fact that there's synchronization between your intention, your action, and the outcomes yeah. but we know more often than not in life there's a mismatch between the intention and the action and certainly the consequence thereof is that because of the VUCA world it's, it's partly <laughs> because of that It it is an environment obviously that creates a problem but in action science which is what Chris Argerus is talking about It has to do with the mental models that drives us. Mm. And I'm going to give you a specific example because I interviewed senior executives uh, on this uh, particular issue to see how they deal with it. So one of the things you would ask them is to say, what kind of leadership style do you have? I mean, it could be various questions, but I asked this one executive, what is your leadership style? And he says it is hands-off leadership style. Okay, Mm -hmm. now it's, Ideally, it's what we would like leadership to look like. It's hands-off because you have coached, you have done everything, then you step back and let people do it themselves. So I said to him, illustrate for me with concrete example what do you mean by uh, uh, hands-off leadership style. Uh, he was the owner of a major uh, motor dealership. So he was talking about his sales manager. So he says... What I would do is I go and sit with my sales manager at his computer. We check how many leads he had for that particular week, for example, or month. How many of those leads were cold? Which ones did he follow up? And so on. And you must talk to this person in this particular way. Now, what did you hear me just say around him illustrating that? That is not hands-off. He was telling actually hands-on leadership. Mm. And yet he believed that was operating from a hands-off a type idea. of style. I'll give you another example because it was actually brilliantly illustrated by him. And when, when I pointed it out to him, his eyes kind of just opened. He said one of the things he does with his uh, sales team is that once a month on a Wednesday, they have a scrum session. And the cr- scrum session was a rough session whereby we're really going to take you out. You haven't met your targets and... We are putting our heads, like in rugby, we're putting our heads into the scrum, and it's sweaty in there, and we, and it's really rough, okay? Uh, and, and people are putting ideas forward how to deal with this particular issue so long they do what I want in the end. Yes. That's what he said. <laughs> so he was demonstrating an unconsciousness that the mental model that was driving him was actually hands-on leadership, although he publicly espoused a hand-off leadership. And he couldn't understand why is it that with this hands-off leadership style that he was expounding himself and wanting to believe in and telling people that he was actually very much manifesting that kind of behavior, he couldn't understand why was he not achieving his consequences of this hands-off. And the the consequence of this hand-off would have been for him to be able to say, my, man, my sales manager is actually doing the things that are really beginning to make his business, the sales, very effective. And I just had to stand back and support him and giving him some coaching here and there. But effectively, he and his team was doing that stuff. Mm. He couldn't achieve that, and he couldn't understand why. He's spending so much time on doing exactly the opposite. So the mental model that was driving him was hands-on, although he believed in the mental model that he espouses hands-off. That is a very good example of how this ineffectiveness is driven by mental models. It's not a chance thing. It's actually what we tacitly believe already, and that drives our behavior. So one way of overcoming that, obviously, is to help a person Create awareness. What is the mental model, as I've just demonstrated to you?
1: That's holding so you
0: one know. way to demonstrate it is to say, what do you believe? And then give an illustration because the illustration must then uh, be in synchronization with what you, your intention is. So it is about what is that intention, what is the action, and what's the outcome?
1: And then understanding your mental models that will stop you from being effective. Of course. So the, of the, course. The, uh, the mental model potentially becomes the ineffective leadership instigator almost.
0: That's Fundamentally, what, what we would say from action science, effectiveness lies in that. They're all, they're your context, like this VUCA context we're talking about, it could make it more complex for you. Uh, there's no doubt about hmm. it. But we are saying that you need to get into the space of understanding first How do you view this VUCA context? Because if you're stepping from it's just an intellectual thing that you're dealing with, no, it's not going to help you. You need to get into your belief system that drives your behavior. And if you can't deal with that, you cannot even be effective. Even if you understand the VUCA world effectively, you're not going to be effective in that.
2: And that's why our hard-won experience Confirms so much What you're saying Doctor the, We speak of Understanding your Personal drivers Absolutely Etc Which of course You won't recognize Until it's Born out to you It's, it's incredible How this impacts On your uh, behavior Then we use, uh, You speak of Understand What you're doing wrong uh, We speak of The intruder principle sure. These are intruders To your authentic self right. And I just love The way that you've been Bring beautiful research In And we appreciate That immensely Yeah the authentic self—that's the key to leadership. Indeed, yeah.
0: indeed. So all of those concepts, like authentic a leader of integrity, begin to make sense if you can show you have dealt with your blindness. That I am afraid to say is not an easy task because what has to happen now, Adrian, is a leader who, you know, pr- uh, t- says to himself that. I've been a very effective, lead, uh, well, I've been a leader now for the last twenty years, and you're saying to the person, actually, what you've been pursuing for these last twenty years is not a belief that really makes you very effective, and to let go of it, that's not e- not easy because the belief system is actually built up in us from childhood, mm. and that. Begins to influence how we interpret the world, our relationship, How do we make sense of what's going on around us? A clinical psychologist, for example, would say that uh, our belief system is in place by the age of seven. God,
1: it's just the last
0: time. The last time that we were free human beings was maybe at the age of two, because we still dictate what needs to happen. And soon, our wishes and our desires have to conform with what is happening around us in society. In the first instance, our parents, who says there are certain things you can do and not others.
2: Mm.
0: And I will demonstrate that to you and uh, the way maybe we grew up, uh, our generation, was that at some point that uh, belief was enforced on you. Uh, my grandmother had a brown leather strap that was written on Klaar Gepraat. So there's no more talking after that. Now she will take action. <laughs> <laughs> and That action is going to determine that's that right. you have to do it because you know there are consequences.
1: Yeah. Andrew, as we start winding down the last four or five minutes uh, of, of our Leadership Masterclass, I mean, the context in within, within which you've learned this and much more is the ESCOM environment. I also want us to end off with SIOPSA. It's sure. an organization you're part of that's, that's fascinating that people need to know of but but escom i mean it's it's a crazy environment sure. uh, it's been part of the narrative in our country for many years now mostly for bad leadership um yet i know you're doing a heck of a lot of good work here so how have you navigated through that and sure. and, and and is this part of is it this tough environment that's taught you some of these lessons yeah uh, i mean we again in most organizations people are developing at great cost leaders but we're not always seeing the results. Yeah. You know, somehow, in my view, collectively speaking, leadership development has failed the world. Sure. Okay, because sure. for many reasons, and we've had those conversations on the sure. show. Just a minute or so on what you've learned in, in this environment.
0: And, and I think the learning can only be in a space of adversity because if it is going well, then there's very little that you need to learn about it. One of those things that I'm reminded of is what Kurt Levine, uh, the father of action uh, 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 research, basically, would be talking about. And he says, uh, there's nothing more practical than a good theory. So you have to have a clear idea in your mind, first of all, what you want to do. So when we talk about, say, an inside-out model of learning, then you need to begin to apply it. Okay, So that's what we did. And I can tell you that the very fact that ESCOM actually is still operating. And I mean, there were times when it was really bad the way it operated and then better, and yet it kept going, means that there are thousands of people, including leaders within ESCOM, who were just trying to make their contribution to making this thing work. And I think a lot of them, when we get feedback from those managers, because remember we train, from supervisor all the way up to executives, is that a lot of those leaders would say, uh, when we went through the programs here to help me also to take personal responsibility of what I have to do, mm. because I could say, well, all the things that are going so wrong at senior levels within the organization, I can hide behind it and do nothing. And yet a lot of those people where we help them to build the skills to step up to their challenge because one of the questions I often ask the leader is, do you know clearly what is your scope of influence? And do you believe you've got some control about what happens within your scope of influence? Well, if you believe that, then get on with it because you can't wait for all of these things to be resolved and you're not dealing with the issues that you find in your particular scope of influence. And I think a lot of leaders have stepped up to it often get derailed with what is happening in the broader context, obviously. And I have a firm belief, I say it often to my team, that I believe uh, that which we had been able to do so well with the executive team when uh, in the early, like 2012, 13, 11 around that time, when we built a leadership uh, at senior level, the executive team, because when we embark on the leadership programs, the first thing I said to the CEO at the time was, you must also be subject to that very same training. I'm guessing because Brian Darmus. F- Brian Darmus in this particular instance. I, because I said to him, and I convinced him, first of all, you saying that w- that which you have such an expectation to see in your leaders in the organization You are building exactly the same thing in yourself, but you're also preparing yourself to be a coach and mentor to people around you. How do we tackle what is my journey is also now how do I am stepping up to helping you to to do that. And I Mm. I think there's real possibilities for us to do it. And I believe we did make major inroads, even in that middle management layer, Uh, I almost have a belief, hopefully it's expressing real hope in me, is that if we can sort out again what is happening at this higher level, uh, it's simply to unlock what is sitting dormant now maybe in many people in Uh,
1: it's, It's A lot of people say, oh, we don't need the top politicians or we don't need a president of the country. We can sort things out on ground level there's some truth to that but the truth is we must have an ethical good leader at the top of south africa uh, who instills a certain culture in it an comes organization back to yourself. and the same mm-hmm. with escom anywhere else you know you can't you can't have rot at the top let's say but uh, expect the rest of the organization to not have it or weak leadership at the top and not so good luck with that journey. We'll have you back on for sure. Just very okay. quickly, SIOPSA, just one minute on, the, on what they are because it's, it seems to be a bit of a hidden gem.
0: Yeah, so um, one of the approaches which I wanted to take up with you at the moment, I represent SIOPSA on the external affairs. SIOPSA is the Society of Industrial and Organizational Psychology in South Africa. And it's the professional society for all industrial psychologists. Mm. It's not compulsory because you just have to register with the Health Professions Council at the moment. And uh, we are the professional society that manages the whole spectrum of what could be considered to be psychology in the workplace. And that covers the whole spectrum of things, whether it is your training and development, whether it's talent acquisition, whether it is... Um, uh, even ER because we have to learn that, or HR management, all the skills in that, career management, psychometrics, Matrix. which is obviously one of the key components that we uh, deliver within organization. So it's, it's covering the whole spectrum of issues within the workplace. Organizational change is a key component of what... Uh, uh, uh. So the society is is trying to manage how does that profession begin to step up to that role more effectively uh, within the workplace? I think one of the challenges of industrial psychologists in the past have always been that we we got painted and we painted ourselves into a corner of just doing psychometrics, but it's probably just a tool in our hands to do these other things that I've just spoken to you about. And what we're wanting to do now and what I'm taking up for the society is to help bring that into the public sphere. It's almost like saying to uh, uh, interested parties out there like media houses and so on, if you want to have comment on really topical issues within the workplace, we have experts available that can speak to this issue. And my role is to go and help connect them in with uh, those uh, external institutions to say, Do you want to comment on stress in the workplace? We've got people that can talk about it. Neuro's uh, leadership, leadership, for example, we have got people and so forth. So
1: we'll certainly, we want want to connect more with that and and through our leadership app that we'll be launching that will be out there very soon. That's the typical expertise that we can place on there too. Thank you so much, Dr. Andrew Johnson, Chief Learning Officer at ESCOM. What a rich conversation. Um, let's all work on that skillful. The word in my mind is adaptation. But improvisation. You, improvisation. Is it yeah. the same thing?
0: Yeah. Uh, no, no, not adaptation because improvise. Adaptation almost assumes that you're stepping and you're just adapting. Ad- adapting to that environment. Improvisation means you're still responding to it you in improve, a very active way. Yeah. 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 Positive
1: okay. response. All mm-hmm. well, right. Thank you so much the Leadership Platform for all things leadership and of course that's our leadership master class the old man louis chronol thank you for being with us and dr andrew johnson look forward to being with you again next week thank you for joining us
0: this is cliffcentral.com